Good day, everyone. Welcome to Your Self-Help Quest. I'm your host, Joshua Melissus, and joining me today is Dr. Sean Marr, who is a um, professor in the biology department at Missouri State University. Dr. Marr, um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Why is climate change happening? So climate change is, there's anthropogenic climate change, right? And that's happening because we dump a bunch of stuff in the atmosphere, and uh, particularly uh, carbon products, CO2, methane, those sorts of things. And what those are doing is they're uh, creating a warmer environment overall. Uh, This is particularly, you can see it most often in the oceans. So if you look at ocean temperatures, they're rising. And uh, that's kind of scary because it's a big thing of water. And it takes a lot of energy to raise water temperature. Um, So oceans, uh, their temperatures are rising. That's influencing a lot of the weather we experience. Um, And so the reason climate change is happening is because we're putting a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, We're doing that either directly um, through uh, production of greenhouse gases. We're also doing it through destruction of, say, forests. Uh, grassland ecosystems that would actually store carbon in other ways. So think of a tree, think of below ground biomass for grasslands like prairies, for instance. Prairies, you might see a plant that's about three feet tall, but below ground, it's very extensive and that's all carbon storage. So we're dumping a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere. Do you think things are getting worse or somewhat better? This is tricky, right? Uh, So we, I think we've become bit more there are people that are trying to limit the amount of carbon we put in the atmosphere but we're not doing a good enough job things are going to change over the next 50 years and whether or not it's going to be really really bad or just bad is going to depend on where you are where you're living and what your perspective of bad is some people might find that warm temperatures during the winter are okay with them so they might perceive this differently than someone like me that says it shouldn't be this warm uh we should have more snow kind of thing like how catastrophic can can things get in the future for some people uh it's going to be totally catastrophic they're going to lose their homes uh if you think about people that live near the ocean uh, ocean levels are going to rise uh to the point where we're going to flood islands. That's already happening um, in some of these. Uh, I think of some of there's a Pacific island that they're already seeing a bunch of encroachment, and so their homes are going to these places that were above ground, above water, are going to be below water. Um, we're going to see big changes like that. So for some people, it's going to be totally gone. Other people, they might not notice a whole lot of difference. So what kind of positive uh, changes can we make to help the environment? There are a lot of changes individuals can make. I think the biggest changes have to be made at a much larger, grander level in terms of uh, actually limiting the impacts of climate change because that's effectively where we're at right now. It's limiting the effects. It's not changing. It's not stopping. It's slowing it down, limiting it. And most of that has to come from a higher level 
government regulations, those sorts of things, limiting uh, carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, we can always do things as individuals, recycle, uh, ride a bike instead of drive their car. Um, but that's just a drop in the bucket compared to some of the other things that happen. I mean, change in diet can have a big influence uh, because the amount of carbon used to generate food, certain food products is pretty excessive. So, Maybe this is just because I'm, I'm ignorant on the subject, but um, w is there like any way for like the, that the earth can heal, can repair itself? I think that's a common thought that things will just fix themselves. Uh, and that's not always the case. So um, what you can get are these uh, tipping points, in which case certain things just won't, can't go back, right? So for instance, if you look at the uh, Amazon rainforest, right? That's a classic example. I, I, most people are somewhat familiar with that there are these big trees down in South America, right? And people cut them down uh, for agriculture, right? Grow some plants. Uh, consume those plants, ranching, what have you. Well, even if you stop agriculture, it's not going to necessarily go back to that same forest structure, in part because the soil gets, um, is influenced by that environment, becomes harder, and so the trees don't grow. So it's not going to go back to the way it was, right? And so you get these different kind of tipping points where if it, you wait too long, it's not going to go back. And so the thing, there is no quote-unquote healing. It's going to be different. Going off of that, there's lots of misinformation out there. Um, and there are people who deny that climate change exists. So how do we kind of convince these people that it is a real threat to us? I don't know. I don't know. I thought about that question a bit. And I'm not really sure. I think you have people, I think you could try and have discussions with people, but if they just don't, if they don't want to believe it, they're not going to believe it, right? Uh, you can provide a ton of evidence to people about certain things that have happened or will happen, and they'll choose to ignore it. Um, this is especially true when it comes to livelihood, that if it's going to influence their ability to, uh, you know, have a job, raise a family, you know, it, sometimes it's convenient to ignore it. Um, and it can be scary, right? Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to convince people that just don't want to see it. Kind of shifting gears, I want to get, I guess, more personal here. Mm -hmm. um, but so how does, like for you, how does climate change like make you feel? Do you personally like have climate change anxiety? I've had it, oh, for sure. Um, so when I, before I came to Missouri State, I was working at University of California. Part of the project was to analyze or to try to identify those climate change refugia and see if we could kind of look at how meadows might reflect that, right? And it was depressing because we'd look at data from the early part of the 20th century and then you try to compare that to these forecasts for the end of the 21st century. And there were places, there were just certain places where you'd say, let's look at place A and compare the climate from 100 years ago to what we expect it to be in 100 years. And there'd be no places that were the same. And everything would be totally different in terms of extreme events, how warm it would be, how much water, all of these features. And it was just kind of depressing, 
I would look at some of these measures and then just have to go walk outside and just take a breath of fresh air and kind of just say like, okay, let's think this through. Uh, or it is what it is. These are these models. Let's, let's hope that it's not that way. But if it is, it's worthwhile for people to recognize that, that it is going to change dramatically. So yeah, it's stressful. Uh, I think about um, uh, how people are going to survive, like, you know, people are going to persist. We're going to be around. It's just going to be different. Yeah. Uh, and some of the things that I've gotten to see in my life, you know, my two kids might not see those exact same things. They might see something different. What are some of your coping strategies for dealing with that kind of anxiety? I go outside. Yeah. That's how I do deal with it. I go outside. Uh, I still try to interact with nature in some form or another, whether that's me going out on a run, getting exercise, um, doing surveys, uh, hanging out at the field station, what have you. Um, going on a hike with my family, just being outside. I think that kind of helps kind of resolve some of that stress. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know how many other faculty you've talked to, but many of us are just stressed anyway. Yeah. So it's just probably another ball of stress that just sits in the corner uh, that you just kind of ignore for a while. Um, but yeah, I think most of the coping is coming to terms with reality and being outside and just seeing what I can see. Do you practice like any, any form of like meditation or mindfulness? Uh, not in the traditional sense. Uh, uh, I think more or less uh, me, I, for me, if I go for a run, I feel a little bit more mentally rejuvenated. Uh, that helps me relax, kind of maybe not recenter myself, but it gives me time to think right and just think about whatever uh, and most sometimes those thoughts come in they're in there for five minutes and they're gone and that works too so uh, but I don't do kind of the you know other types of traditional meditation I guess do you go on a run every day uh, I do not uh, I do I don't have time for that yeah uh, so but, you know, a few times a week, three t I try to go about three times a week. Uh, and then I walk to campus. I live close enough to campus that I walk or ride my bike, and that affords some time of just kind of a self-centered, self-moment of getting someplace, kind of think about the day, kind of plan for the next 20 minutes, that sort of stuff kind of helps. On average, how often do you spend time out in nature? Less than I'd like. Uh, I think a lot of people who get into ecology and wildlife biology really like being outside and want to do those sorts of things. And I think one of the uh, outcomes, though, of doing research is that you spend, and having an academic career, is you end up spending a lot of time in an office away from it. So over the summer, I get to spend a bit more time. It's, I've been really fortunate the last couple of years where we've been able to do uh, some surveys in nearby prairies, and so that gets me out. Um, uh, I'm now director of the field station, so I'll be down there a bit more often doing surveys, looking for stuff, as it were. Um, but yeah, if I could get out more, I would, but I can't. 
Joe Rogan is kind of a, a controversial uh, podca- podcaster, and because I, I know I know he's brought on uh, people who've had misinformation about uh, vaccines and, and climate change, um, and I guess what what is kind of the danger with that? It gives people the wrong impression about how stuff science is done. Uh, in part, when you bring in someone who's not really an expert about uh, the procedures to do, say, model estimation, um, but then commenting on them is uh, just going to be problematic, um, especially if they don't have expertise in some of the complex systems involved in, say, atmospheric science. Uh, I am a user of models of atmospheric uh, change. Uh, I don't pretend to understand all the details to generate those models. Um, and so I won't comment that say, okay, yeah, this one's so much better than that one because it's fit differently, whatever. I'll evaluate what they tell me uh, in, a, in the best way possible. But I think having someone say that atmospheric models are too simple because it's more complex, uh, don't understand the the difficulty in fitting statistical models anyway or why we want simple models because if we can explain a lot of variability with a simple model we don't need that level of complexity and that level of complexity something overly complex we can't actually apply it to new uh, concepts easily uh, because it's too in statistics, we talk about things that are overfit, that, that it's just focused on the observed data. And so to make extrapolations on that becomes problematic. So when we think about climate science and atmospheric science, you know, simple models, or si- the models are simpler than reality, but that's true for everything, and that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I think one thing to think about, it's okay to be wrong. I, talk, I just talked about that in statistics today that, or this last week is that we're uncertain, we're wrong. It's just that we don't want to be very wrong. Uh, We want to be as close to not wrong as possible, but we're going to be wrong because there's uncertainty, there's unknown, uh, there's there's randomization randomization in the world. Things don't behave the way you always expect them to. When educating uh, future generations about the things to come, what do like? What do science teachers have to do more? I guess to uh, to educate their students about climate change. I think one place we really need to look about climate change and how things have changed is you could look at the paleo record. So look at what was going on twenty thousand, thirty thousand years ago. What that tells you is that uh, places that we see today were very different put it in context then, the amount of change that happened between 20,000 years ago and now, uh, we're accelerating that change. And so the idea that, I think I said earlier that, you know, nature's going to persist, it's just not going to be the same, it's because of this rapid change. That the things that happened 20,000 years ago, yeah, climate changes, but we're accelerating a lot of that warming. Uh, we're beyond levels that have been seen, uh, or we're beyond carbon levels in the atmosphere that have been seen in millions of years. Um, and so things are going to shift more. 
And I think putting it in context of just say, you know, we know the La Brea Tar Pits, you know, that's kind of a classic example, or even the movie Ice Age, and you kind of say, oh yeah, that stuff was happening. But it's going to be a lot different, and things are going to accelerate. And I think if people want to teach students about climate change and kind of uh, nature's reaction to that, you can put it in context of this is what happened, we saw change, it's actually going faster, right? So you walk on a treadmill at, you know, two miles an hour and then jump it up to 70 miles an hour, that's what we're experiencing. For environmentalism, what is something to look forward to in the future? I don't know. Uh, environmentalism is very much a philosophy of uh, supporting the environment, preserving the environment. It doesn't necessarily always follow that um, uh, it doesn't always have a sustainability angle right in terms of uh, human use uh, and so I think we need to emphasize true sustainability uh, in, in terms of food resources right where people are going to live um, and come to terms that we can't keep behaving like it's not changing, right? Um, embrace science as best we can uh, and go with that. Uh, that's clearly a challenge when we can't get lots of people to embrace science now, even though that would prevent us from wearing masks at this stage, right? right? Um, like I am vaccinated and boosted, but if you look at the data for where we live, that's not broad, right? We're still below 60% vaccinated uh, for the Springfield area, Green County, at least last I checked. So it's kind of, I mean, sometimes it makes me, we, you know, think about mental health and kind of, it makes me sad because if we can't get people, if you can't convince someone to do something for their neighbor, why are they going to behave differently uh, in the long term, right? And this is kind of an immediate thing. Like, you could save the life of someone, and people are just making it a political statement to not save someone's life, not prevent illness in someone, right? But then we're going to ask them to, you know, drive their car less. They're probably not going to do that. And that makes me sad because... I want to think that most people would be willing to help somebody else out, but that's not necessarily what's happening. They want to make it a political statement about not getting a vaccine, or they want to believe some podcaster and not the public health, the scientists that have evaluated these things. And I guess this is just me, but I guess I kind of blame more of the politicians as opposed to the people because I know there are lots of politicians out there that are good manipulators yeah. and good at, at playing at taking certain issues and then politicizing it mm -hmm. and it's sad because I guess some people look up to those politicians and they uh, they see it as fact mm -hmm. but those politicians themselves have gotten vaccinated and boosted yeah right so some so of them they're are, just they're just lying to people yeah or doing something right and the other, the flip side of that is that those people are buying it. They want to hear that some of those things, right? They, they, that's what they want to hear, and they're being told what they want to hear, and not what the truth is, 
right? And so they presumably are want to be ignorant about something. They want something else to be true rather than what is true. And there isn't somebody going to track you because you got the vaccine. But that's what some people think. Yeah. Because that's what some people said. And that's that's just like the the sad thing cuz you know a lot of people just bury their heads into the sand and I think what people need to realize is that once you face the hard truth and even if it's a truth that you don't really want to accept if you get around to accepting it I think it's it can be difficult at first but then once once you accept it um, then it can it can it can become easier to, uh-huh. to deal with sure at least at least from my perspective I kind of had an existential crisis of, like a few years ago like uh-huh. in terms of like death and my own mortality, and I was just terrified of the idea of dying. Uh-huh. Um, but once I faced that, once I like um, just thought about it more, I kind of accepted it. And you know, it was hard at first, but then once I accepted it more on a daily basis, like I don't really um, have that fear anymore. Right. But that's part of being human, right? Yeah. I think that's what makes us special: is that we know death is coming. Right? Yeah. Uh, and we can make decisions about what we do between now and death to some degree. We don't actually know particularly when it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's... And I think some people are just like, well, it's not going to bother me when it comes to climate change. And they're well, going to put their head in the sand. And climate change, and, like, it's kind of like death in that sense, yeah. too, because it's like a thing that you can't really predict. Well, right. You, you can kind of say that this stuff's going to... the thing. The thing that it gets confusing to some degree, right, is that we can't pinpoint exactly how your experience is going to change, right? Because when we talk about climate, we're talking about long periods of time. When we talk about weather, we're talking about yesterday, right? And so weather patterns, people will throw out, there was the guy that threw the snowball in Congress. He's like, oh, climate change, I still got snow. Well, he was missing the point. Right? We're still going to have snow in parts of the United States. It's not like it's all going to go away. It's just that certain weather patterns are going to shift. You're going to get more extreme events, more extreme uh, rainfall in certain areas. Uh, in some of the mountainous regions, it's going to shift from snow to rain. So they're going to have the same amount of precipitation, but it's going to come down differently, which is going to influence everybody in Los Angeles, San Francisco, where they get their water. Right. Uh, but I think that's less tangible for some people right now because it's not happening immediately and it won't happen for another 20, 30 years. And they not, they're not thinking that far ahead because maybe we'll find some sci-fi solution or whatnot. What were some of the, uh, uh, I guess the worst disasters from last year that you saw that definitely had like a big impact on the environment? Recently, there was a tornado in Kentucky, right? Uh, I think that was kind of... I can't remember tornado, big tornadoes in Kentucky before. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, was it 10, 12 years ago, there was the tornado in Joplin that ripped through, basically destroyed a whole town, a small city. Um, we've got plenty of these um, the hurricanes that have hit over the last three, four years. Um, that have shifted 
how people have to live and where people live. We've got displacement. Uh, I just saw, you know, people are still struggling with some of the Hurricane Katrina things. Um, that that hasn't resolved itself, and that was I can't remember how long ago that was. We've got the wildfires, right? That's really striking. I think that was one of the big stories of the fall was the wildfires out west. That's in part because it's been dry. They've had droughts. Um, the management practices have been such that you don't, um, that have kind of facilitated some of those things. The power grids, um, the, the actual structure of those uh, are old and not up to date as they could be. We had our big ice storm last year, about 52 weeks ago, right? And when that hit Texas, they were totally unprepared, right? Because they, the grid wasn't ready for it. Um, and so we, you know, when we think about climate readiness in the future, there's a whole bunch of this infrastructure that needs to be fixed and adjusted. Uh, not just, you know, the roads and things, it's, you know, the electrical grid. Where do we generate electricity? And how does that come from? And I think things like those wildfires, some of them, there was one in California that was sparked in part, I think, by some of the generators. Um, that wasn't this most recent one, that was uh, one while ago. But you know, wildfires, ice storms, those highlight that we're not ready for some of these big changes. Is it just like a change in the legislature, like the, the way things are run, that needs to change um, yeah. to get people ready for that? I think there just has to be, people have to think of things differently. We can't, we have to invest wisely. We can't worry about making so much money in some cases. Uh, I've taught population ecology where we talk about population growth. And when people start talking about, you gotta increase growth, increase growth. That means things are growing faster and faster and faster. And that doesn't, from a biological standpoint, that's not sustainable. But that's kind of the underwriting principles that we hear a lot about, is, is our economy growing? Is it growing faster than before? Rather than it's just growing, that means it has a positive growth. That's what we want, right? But to make it accelerate, it becomes less sustainable. You need more resources for those sorts of things. Um, so I guess, my take is that you have to have a different point of view and have everybody willing to accept that point of view. And I think that's gonna be the biggest challenge when you start saying you can't have that. And I think in our culture, that is not something people wanna hear. I guess, and I guess this is kind of a positive, but when you say that there's at least more awareness of climate change. Yeah, I'd say there is. Uh, I think it's in, I think there's awareness to it. I don't think that's always, it's always been treated well though, right? Because sometimes it's treated in a mocking way, yeah. right? Uh, and that becomes, that doesn't help anything. But I think there's a lot of people that are aware of it. We have some of these kind of stopgap things that we try to do as individuals but it's not changing anything. It's not changing stuff fast enough. I remember acid rain was a problem, right? And legislatures made changes. And then we didn't have to worry about acid rain for a while. Things like 
those things could be done. They just people don't want to do them right now. I guess I don't know what the best solution for that is. Just with ignorant politicians, because the thing is, is that they're always gonna play that up for however long that they're they're in charge. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess the best thing that we can do is just try to vote them out. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. I mean, you don't know why certain people do certain things. You can kind of guess why. But the lack of action on certain angles, you're just... I mean, just I think it's, yeah. it's mostly mo- money is probably the motivation. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, there's money to be made, yeah. right? Um, but it can't save you in the end. No, it can't. <laughs> and it can't, you know, it might help your generations in the future, but they still might exhibit... Your grandkids and great-grandkids might ex- have to deal with a lot of more extreme things than you never even considered. I wish we could just get some of this stuff done, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people, uh, uh, well, I should say, it doesn't seem like enough people want to get it done. So you do what you can, right? You do the, the actions locally uh, and try to make where you live a better place uh, and uh, a safer place, as it were, and hope that other people do the same thing. I feel like some people think when it comes to um, environmentalism and, and dealing with climate change that they think it's going to cost them something. Uh-huh. But actually, it, it's kind of like the reverse. Like if you take these, if you take certain measures, you can actually um, spend less money. Yeah. 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 Your, your grocery bill could go down. You have. I think that was one of the things that people noted in terms of shutdown and the COVID shutdowns and things is that people started growing vegetables in their backyard. And that's a good thing, right? We had victory gardens in World War II in the United States, right? Because you couldn't get veg, fruit and veg, fresh vegetables. So you had victory gardens. So things like that. Like if you can do it, do it. Um, a lot of times it tastes better when it's right out the, you can eat the tomato right off the plant. So, yeah, you can save some money doing it that way. Won't necessarily make any money. Yeah. But you can save some money. And even with other things like um, like riding a bike as opposed to uh, spending a lot of money on a, on a truck, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have, I mean, we have two gas-powered vehicles. Uh, the one, another thing is, you know, make sure you take care of those vehicles. Right. If you take care of those vehicles, you don't have to buy a new vehicle, right? Because that's expensive in terms of carbon production and things like that. So my, we have a, uh, a Subaru Forester, and I've got we've got a 2002 Volkswagen Golf that I've been driving since grad school, and you know it still runs. It's manual transmission. I get to take it out once a week and drive it to the grocery store and whatnot. Um, but I walk and I ride my bike everywhere. Uh, public transit is a fantastic way to kind of reduce your carbon footprint. Uh, I recognize not everybody has that luxury, right? That, uh, and not all cities and towns are set up for that. Um, you know, I can go easily a week without a car 
in Springfield. Uh, if I had to do a couple months, it'd be pretty tough um, because of getting lots of groceries and you know that sort of stuff. It'd be more difficult. It'd be do I'd do it. It'd just be more difficult. And if you're a single parent, it's really really hard. So I think there's like some small like little changes. I think today that are, that are happening that uh, um, increase more awareness of yeah. of sustainability. Yeah. So I was just trying to think yeah, of like another of another like I guess thing that is kind of that was like that was common back then, but it's not used as often now because it was bad for the environment. Uh, styrofoam. Styrofoam. Yeah. So I remember uh, when you would get a sandwich. There was this ad campaign at McDonald's. I can't remember what the sandwich, maybe it was even, I think it was McDonald's, but they had a styrofoam container. So the hot part of the burger was on one side and the cold part of the burger was on the other. And then you folded it together and you got styrofoam, you know, they don't do that. And now it's paper slash with a little plastic. So styrofoam, that used to be really common when you went to a fast food joint and everything was in styrofoam. And it's not oh. that way because, you know, the ho- do you remember the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone? Yeah. Right? That was like this catastrophic thing when I was a kid and that it was getting bigger and uh, CFCs and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we did away with those things and the ozone layer got smaller the hole or the ozone hole got smaller it's still there but it got smaller we can do things we can yeah. act we can make changes yeah. we just have to choose to do it whether they're genuine or not i know like some companies um try to like adv- advocate um for yeah. better sustainability and i know like yeah. some like going off of that because you mentioned the mcdonald's and styrofoam um what was it i think it with Starbucks, they eliminated the use of, of straws. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the weird reaction that uh, a sea turtle, I think it was, and straws, and suddenly everybody got away with stop using straws. Great. Yeah, I guess it's it's funny that I guess I didn't know about I didn't know about the turtle, but I think I that think brings up straws, yeah. another good point is that as humans. Um, pathos really works for us uh-huh. like the emotional appeal to pretty much anything it, it it's a good motivator because like yeah. if we see like an ad for something and it's like really sad it makes us sad i mean it makes us sad and it makes us angry to where we want to we want to act uh-huh. and we want to um uh help in any way we can yeah it's true and and i think that that also works for uh increasing more awareness for climate change yeah is having more i guess ads or um that uh that kind of bring that emotional reaction out of us yeah Yeah. and i I think i've seen images of like uh there was this pseudo starving polar bear image that was kind of brought i i don't know if you saw it i saw it year ago or something like oh yeah this is gonna be the reality polar bears are gonna starve to death um and uh it didn't you know push the needle for some people but not others so i think you're right you know as humans we 
can definitely be selfish and I think also um, I guess we could have arguments or like ads that kind of puts us, puts it in their uh, perspective uh-huh. to where you know they're not only um, to where they can you know they have to do this because they have to do this for themselves or for people that they care about yeah you know yeah that's what you want right make action on things but that's not what always people that's not always what people do either right because like you said they're selfish yeah so we're inherently selfish i'll say this this is anytime i talk about climate change it always feels like a downer (laughs) yeah i mean i get it it is but it's also just a good thing to talk about it because Mm -hmm. you know this is being being a a self-help podcast is that we have to be able to talk about um, difficult subjects because, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, like you don't want to bury your head into the sand. We, you know, we have to, conf- we have to talk about these problems in order to confront it and to, and to make change. Yeah. And that, that's how you, and that's how you do better. Yeah. You know, as, as a person and, and, and also just bettering society. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Okay, I got, Two last questions for you. Uh-huh. And these are questions that I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. What is something that has brought you joy today? Uh, I have two daughters. They're five and two, and every day we just there's something that, that makes me smile. What's something that you need to work on? Focus. Uh, I think I have to do a better job focusing on things. I think that's something I've struggled with my entire adult life is like, I know I need to get this thing done, but this thing's really cool, so I'm gonna mess with this instead, right? And I think we can all relate to that to some degree. I know some people have a much more, uh, a bigger struggle with that than probably I do, but it's always something I try to work on of just like, try to get these things done. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, And to our audience, thank you so much for watching and listening. Um, and for, for more content, of course, please subscribe to Your Self Help Quest on, on Apple and Spotify as, as well as YouTube. And uh, I hope you all have a, have a very beautiful day and make sure to take care of yourselves. Peace. <laughs>